welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today, our guest is the lighting designer for The Great Celestial Cow, which opens tonight uh, here at Burning Coal, April 11th, and runs through the 28th. Miranda DeBusk is here to join us today. Miranda, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure indeed. Uh, We've been uh, working with you uh, for several months now uh, from afar, and then you arrived last uh, Thursday, I think. And can you sort of walk us through, for those of us listening um, that don't know what it means to be a lighting designer? Like, what is the process once you hit the ground here in Raleigh? What do you do? So once I hit the ground, uh, there's been a lot of work that goes into getting to being in the theater. Uh, The great part about being the lighting designer and the strangest part about being a lighting designer is I am often the person who is in the room the shortest amount of time. I'll come in a week, maybe two weeks before opening where everybody else has been here three, four, sometimes months and months. Uh, longer than I have and so what I have been doing is like before I get here I'm working on you know breaking down the play figuring out what my themes are talking to my director um, setting up what it is that this world looks like and feels like and and is in my head and in her head Uh, and then once I get in to the theater we're hitting the ground running I have previously sent in a light plot a map to where all of the lights go in the air Mm -hmm. Um, I have figured out really scene by scene what everything feels like an idea of where we're going Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I'll arrive and I'll sit down and we'll have a designer run and they will do a full run through of the play uh, for me and the rest of the designers and and for themselves Uh, and we'll really get to see sort of how the ideas that we've been talking about manifest in the movement and the physicality of the play Uh, and really what it is in the space with the set, with the actors, with everybody who has been here. Uh, And then we see the run, we make some pretty quick changes uh, about what may or may not work, things that, you know, I see and I'm like, oh yeah, this would be super cool if we had X, Y, and Z. Can we get X, Y, and Z before we get into tech? What would that be, like another instrument or a different kind of instrument or just what, what, what kind of scenarios might unfold in that short period of time? Yeah, most of the time it's things like specials. It's another mm-hmm. instrument um, or maybe a different kind of instrument, something that says, oh, I thought, we had talked about this moment being down center and now in the room, in the space, figuring it all out, we've decided that it needs to be upstage. Can we move that instrument upstage to do what we need to do? Or in the case of this show, I think I added six specials uh-huh. where I went, oh, great. We're, it's a very heavily isolated show. We're pulling into lots of different locations, and those locations are designated in lots of different locations on the set, in the space. So I need to make sure that I have something in the air to really highlight those. Um, and there are two schools of thought to doing that. I've worked with designers before who have already pre-plotted those and will have something in the air so that there is something already accounted for and then we'll slide those around. Or I've worked with other designers who, as I did in this instance, have just gone, all right, well, I know that in inventory I have you yeah. know, 10 more instruments and I have 10 more dimmers and I can make this happen. So when I get there, I will figure out where they go and then we will will save the trouble of doing it twice. Yeah. So that gets us through the designer run, which is your first night here mm-hmm. uh, in Raleigh. And then the next day we do the focusing. And you tell us just briefly what that's about, how that works. And yeah, uh, focus is a very exciting day. Uh, it is the day where we point all the lights where the lights are going to go, yeah. <laughs> um, which uh, sounds really simple. But when you're looking at having 
lots of different systems lights that are pointing in different places with mm -hmm. different purposes. Um, it can get it can get pretty complex depending on what you're doing and how many people you have. Um, but it's a it's a great day of walking around the space and standing in a spot and saying, please point this light at the back of my head. <laughs> uh -huh. And in in the thrusts uh, space, such as the one that you're working in right now, where the audience is on three sides, you have to light not from one perspective, but from three different perspectives, I guess you would say. Is that a challenge that, you're, that you regularly uh, deal with, or is that sort of a rare thing for you? Um, in my world, I, uh, I run into thrusts a lot. Um, and I, it's funny, because I people, it, this is not the first place where, where folks have said, well, uh, by the way, it's a, it's a thrust, and just be prepared for that, uh, which is always funny to me, because the theater that I learned how to light in was a thrust, was a thrust. approximately the same size as this one. Okay. Um, the grid was probably four feet, five feet lower. Where, um, was, uh, where was that, just out of curiosity? That was Furman University oh, yeah, in yeah. Greenville, South okay. Carolina. Good. 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 Um, very similar in size um, to this space, and it's... Uh, but it's a great skill to have because you're, you're you're absolutely right. There are lots of folks who don't encounter thrusts often. Many programs mm -hmm. um, only have a proscenium space or predominantly put students in a proscenium space or a black box space yeah. that could be any configuration. Um, but a thrust is different. You do have to remember that you are looking at it from three perspectives. Um, the trick that that I always that I have found most useful uh, as I've gotten as I've done this more and more is to not try to make all of them the same. Um, there's often a school of thought that says teach your students how to light every thrust so that everybody in the audience gets exactly the same show. Yeah. Uh, and that is nine times out of ten not possible and probably ten, town, ten times out of ten undesirable. Right. Um, be because? Because there's, a, there's an amount of, of modeling and shaping and feeling to a piece that comes from the different things that you can see and the different mm -hmm. perspectives you mm -hmm. have. And you see it when you direct them also. You know, you'll, you might have somebody who's in an ensemble who is doing something specific up left facing your left bank of audience yeah. seating, and they will be doing something that the director will say is just for them. We need to give them something so they're not just looking at backs and butts. Um, so let's have you guys doing something that maybe a person who is downright won't be able to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's similar in lighting. It's, you know, maybe the person who's sitting in the house left side will have a slightly warmer tone, or maybe they in this scene it's a backlight for them while it's a side light for the front and a front light for the sides but as that actor is turning you're getting a full sort of a full encompassing feeling of all of the emotions they're going through as they are playing to each bank mm -hmm. each bank is getting something different equal but different okay good that's very clear um, uh, what else about our space I'm just curious is there anything about our space that you have not encountered before or that you rarely encounter? Um, and if not, are, can you think of examples of that in your life? Uh, uh, in this instance, it's the balcony. <laughs> um, yeah. Your, uh, your balcony is great. I love it. And architecturally, I find it very arresting right. um, and interesting. You know, you walk into a theater and you're used to looking up and just seeing the lights. But to have this sort of mid-level um, break in the wall right. is great. Um, it does make it, it was a challenge because in the drawings, I wasn't quite sure exactly what that was. Yeah. Uh, and I brought it up to uh, Mia, our master electrician, and she yeah. said, oh, yeah, that's pretty common that people don't understand what this is. This is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and it changes angles, and you can't get quite as far away as you'd like to, but right. uh, certainly worth it for the for what it does for the space and for the energy of the space. I think so, too. I, I enjoy the when it's, when it's full, you know, when there are people on the balcony hanging over the edge. It, it feels almost like a boxing match or something like that. And here it feels like there's a palpable energy that's coming from the audience to the stage as well. So once you've, uh, once you've 
pointed the lights in the right place and focused them, which is what the day-long focus is about. Um, then we hit the big enchilada, which is the tech weekend. Uh, just very briefly, can you walk us through what that's all about, the, that two-day process? Uh, and is it, is it different for different theaters? It is different most everywhere I go in many ways, and it is the same sort of generically around what tech is everywhere. Okay. Um, so tech is, is sitting at the light board and figuring out what this play looks like with everybody in the room. Yeah. Uh, and as a lighting designer, it can get a little difficult um, in times, particularly when the play is very stressful, which this play was not, um, but when it is, um, because you are sort of the person in the center of everything. You have the table, you have sort of control of the room in a way, um, you have the director by you and the stage manager by you, and sort of you are the nexus of everything that is happening is around all of these tech tables that are together, which can get very stressful, particularly if you get too caught up in the idea that if it's a lighting thing that you're holding for, is this is the first day that you're that you are doing anything. Um, I tend to pre-program, lots of folks will pre-program, so for instance, what happened is we had the designer went on Thursday, on Friday during the day we focused, and then Friday night during rehearsal, I came in and with the, Sonia, the director's permission, I wrote light cues over top of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. um, which put us in a place to sort of have an idea of what the shape of the show was before we walked into tech. Right. But just the same, if you hit a roadblock in tech and you need to fix something, you are the center of everything that is fixing things. If you haven't set a cue uh, before the, the tech weekend or what we call 10 out of 12, because we start at 10 in the morning and go for 10 of the next 12 hours uh, with, with a two hour lunch break in there. If you have already, if you have not already set a cue, uh, how long does it take you to write, uh, say the first cue in the play? Uh, uh, it depends. Uh, it definitely depends on the moment. It depends on uh, what you have in the air. Uh, generically, if you're walking in and you're like, okay, so I have all of the tools that I need to have in the air. Yeah. I understand this moment. Um, for me, it, it probably takes a minute and a half. Right. Um, or less. There, there have been 30-second cues in my life. There have been 10-minute cues in my life. What was that about? How did that happen? Well, sometimes you, uh, it depends. In, in a large musical, you'll run into, sometimes I will run into 10-minute cue sequences trying to figure out exactly like the right effects and where they're at. And, oh, they're going to tap dance from up left all the way to down right. And then we're going to go backwards three steps into a jazz square and we need to follow that. <laughs> so a cue, a cue isn't just lights up or lights down or whatever. It, it can be as long as the scene uh, with ch changes happening over the course of the scene, right? Uh, okay, good. Uh, and so the, the, all the cues are written, and, and while that's going on, the play's being rehearsed too, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stopping and starting. The only other thing I think we didn't talk about there was um, the pay, uh, potential paper tech. Is that something you normally do, or do you like to do, or do you follow the director's lead on that? Uh, usually I follow the stage manager's lead on that one. Uh -huh. um, it comes down to how, how he or she likes to work. Um, how they like to work specifically, um, because a, a paper tech can go can go lots of ways. Yeah. Um, a paper tech can be very helpful, and a paper tech can also be two hours where you're putting cues on a piece of paper, and then you get into the room for tech, mm -hmm. and all of it changes. So you spend a lot of time erasing everything and doing it over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. If it's a show that is particularly complex in multiple areas, so lots of light cues, lots of fly cues, lots of sound cues. Mm -hmm. um, particularly if all of those things are going to happen in sort of conjunction as a collaborative tool, I find it very useful to say things like, so set designer, how do you, you know, when do you see this table rolling off this um, 
chalkboard flying out and the walls coming in. Um, all of those deck cues are going to happen in conjunction with probably three light cues and two sound cues. Yeah. And where are they in those motions that we want to see those happening? Which one starts first and how long does it take to establish itself and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then what else? Uh, what, what have we not talked about in this whole process? Is there another element to it? I know there's, there's usually tweaking, uh, but that's kind of the same stuff we've talked about. Is there any other... What else? Uh, well, within the within the realm of the tech rehearsal, what I often find very satisfying um, and very important is the collaboration that I have with my other designers in the room, yeah. uh, particularly from a lighting perspective with my sound designer yeah. um, and a projection or video designer if that's someone who's on the team. But in, in the case of this show, we had a sound designer uh, who's great one was wonderful. And there's often times where something that I might see could be punctuated by a sound cue or something that I hear from the sound design inspires me to do something else or to change something or um, will often in the sound will often influence the mood of a piece in ways that mm -hmm. might be the same as what I've been imagining and might be different. And then it becomes a conversation between uh, the lighting designer, your sound designer and your director about what is this moment? How does this feel? Do is what we need? Is there allowed punctuative sound at the top of it? And then does it like mellow out? So do we need a big bright snap of a light cue and then yeah. something that trickles in that's more gentle? Is it a movement? Is it a, all of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, fo follows the, the sound cue itself and, and that sound cue may not be accessible to you or the director uh, until the tech weekend. Uh, could it work the other way? Could the sound cues be created in advance or does that need to be, as you, as you do your work, in the space with the cast on stage, does the sound designer have to do that? I'm asking you a little bit out of your league here, but uh... Uh, well, I've, I've I've dabbled in sound a time or two, oh, yeah. okay. um, and it, typically your sound designer does have most of it done um, and and done loosely done. We'll have yeah. um, a, a library of work, some selections that have been chosen. Uh, the best the best times that I have had have been when I'm working with somebody who also has secondary and tertiary options mm -hmm. sort of on standby yeah. in the computer can just drag and drop and say well what about this one yeah. let's oh that one didn't work let's try this one in yeah. this transition and see and if that do, works do you get access to that early I mean does that help you with the planning process or if I think that it will be vital to what we're doing I will often ask for it yeah. um, for instance I'm doing a show in a couple of weeks where this sound is where I'm making video content that is directly related to um, some of the songs that are being composed for the show, yeah. particularly with new compositions, it's nice to sort of have access to even what your composer is thinking. Um, so you can have a sense of where they're going because if they're spending all of this pre-production time composing something, yeah. that's probably what's going to be the quote-unquote right answer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I should get, I should wrap my brain around the moment as, as this conceptualization of it. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't hear it until you get in the room, and that's okay too. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you, um, uh, you know, graduated from uh, college uh, from uh, Furman um, a few years ago, and have you? Do, do you have a master's as well, or is that something down there? Where do you, where did that come from? Um, I do. I, I graduated from Furman in 2013 with a BA in theater arts, um, and some significant emphasis in lighting design, and then I took a year off. And I started the, pro the lighting design and digital media program at the University of Tennessee for my master's degree. And I finished that in 2017. Yeah, you were there when uh, Jay Darnold was there. He's one of our regular actors. Mm -hmm. Do you know Jay? Do you remember him? I, Jay and I, I think, met in passing. African-American guy. Mm -hmm. He's uh, great. He's done probably 10 shows here, maybe more than that. 
Um, so, um, so what happens after that? So you, you're living, uh, I assume, in the, the southeastern United States where um, professional theaters are uh, not as, quite as plentiful as they are in other parts of the country. What's the, ne what's the next step for you once you walk out those doors with your master's degree in hand? What, what do you do after that? So when I left uh, the University of Tennessee, I, I made a very cognitive choice not to go into one of the larger markets. Uh, I think that there are a lot of theaters in you know New York, Chicago, DC, film, a lot of yeah. film in LA, things like that. Um, but I, I am a firm believer that there is a lot of wonderful theater in our regions um, that often will get minimized because everybody thinks that the big star dream is in these larger places. Right. And while, yes, there is an abundance of theater in New York City, I would almost say that the amount of professional level theater percentage-wise can actually be found in the regions more often. You know, you're looking at larger projects, bigger budgets, bigger theaters, um, wider audiences that your stories can reach, um, right. as opposed to sort of these major metropolitan areas where you have a house of 35 people, you're getting paid $150 to work for two weeks, and you are doing all of the things on your own. Um, I'm talking about the showcase code. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I'm well aware of the, well familiar with the showcase code. Uh, so, so what do you do though? Uh, assuming that uh, um, seven stages in Atlanta, where I know you've worked uh, recently, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, how do you uh, get in touch with them? Uh, what What do you do? Do you just go knock on their door? Do you call them? Do you send them an email? Or what do you do? Uh, you do all of the above. Um, you also, you work ahead of time. So part of my choice to stay in the Southeast is that I had a network of people. I've, uh, I've been designing for about 10 years. I started working in the professional theater scene as an intern in 2012. Um, so I have been building a network of folks for nearly a decade now um, in and around South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and it was, it made the most sense to me to capitalize on that. Um, to, so yeah, I sent out an awful lot of emails. I, I decided that I was going to be a freelance lighting designer about four weeks before graduation. Um, and I sent out probably 80 emails. Uh, immediately after that. I sent them out to my friends. I sent out Facebook messages to folks that I knew. I got on the um, TCG, the Theater Communications Group website, yep. and they have a membership log, and you can look up every theater by their budget um, in that is a member of TCG, which is the handiest tool that I found. We because were down I, toward the end of the <laughs> thing, probably right near the back. Yeah. You guys were actually a suggestion by two separate friends. And that's mm -hmm. how you got my email, but you got one of those emails. The very, yeah. the you know, the this is my name, this is what I do. Yeah. Um, I have looked into, I always look into the theater. It's always important to know, I don't just blast it out. Just don't assume, yeah. I mean, yes, you want work, but do assume that you want to do work that you want to do. I get a ton of uh, plays submitted to me from people who clearly have made no such effort. They send me plays about uh, two septuagenarians sitting on the back porch drinking mint juleps and talking about their grand parents uh, farm and and I uh, love farms and I love grandparents and I love septuagenarians but I don't ever ever do a play about that in 20-something uh, years and yet I keep getting those plays and so so that's a really good thing the thing that impressed me um, 
besides your stick to Miranda, was the website. Um, so talk about that just a little bit. How did you put that together? Uh, how did you know how to put that together? Did you receive guidance from anyone? Or? Um, I did. Uh, I don't think that you necessarily have to. I just happened to be in a position. It was part of uh, a course that we took in graduate school uh-huh. on digital, um, digital portfolios in general. So we talked about different ways to present your portfolio, different ways to um, compile your photos, show off your work. Uh, involved. It was also about interviews and things like that. Um, but really, everything that you need to know about a website, particularly now, uh, is all online. Yeah. Um, so my website is hosted by Squarespace, which is a user-friendly uh, yeah. sort of prosumer website we use level. It some too, yeah. 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 And you just get in there and you start clicking around and there are tutorials, there are help guides, um, and you look at other people's websites. A yeah. lot of what I did involved going through designers who I knew, designers who I didn't know, um, Googling lighting design websites mm-hmm. <laughs> and finding the aspects of those websites that I liked, the aspects that I didn't, yeah. and then culling through all of my photos and saying, okay, what are the six shows that best highlight my work? What are the six photos from those six shows that best highlight my work? Um, or 10, you know, and it depends. Often people will say that if you have fewer things in your portfolio that might be on your iPad to email out to folks, your website could have 10 or 12. Um, But what do I have? What are my skills? And what is the best way to present the things that I know that I do well? And uh, one of the one of the things that struck me about that website, and I don't honestly remember all the details, but I do remember that there was a there was a consistency to the look of the photographs and and you know the only way you can really i think sell the idea of your quality as a lighting designer is through photographs right i mean mm-hmm. there, there isn't another um, good way of doing that um, and so what i saw was somebody who had a particular set of interests in theater um, that lined up with mine uh, uh, and and i don't mean exactly but i mean within the range and so is that something you think about do you think these are the six plays i like the best or these are the six photographs that look the best or or was there something about the plays themselves that was part of that decision making process yes to all of the above (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh, it it is it's uh i think inherently the shows that you are drawn to personally because they are the shows that tell the stories that you want to tell or that you were most, like your artistic soul is most personally invested in, tend to come out the ones that look the best because Mm -hmm. those are the ones that you're vibing on the right wavelengths, you know? Um, And and for sure, the shows that I I have presented out to the world that people respond most often to are the ones that I I have really been a part of and grounded in. Um, but also sometimes you stop and you go, no, uh, you know, this show may not have been my favorite show to work on, or I might not have felt like I did the best job that I thought I could do, but the photographs might come back and you might say, no, these, these are great. These do showcase the work well, and I, I should include these in my portfolio because every show you do is not going to be the show that you love most in the entire world. You know, I've done three or four in 10 years. Um, and I do a lot of shows in a year. <laughs> Three or four that you really, really love in yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Well, speaking of shows, talk to me about uh, The Great Celestial Cow a little bit. Um, this is not a play I assume that you were familiar with before we approached you about it. Uh, what, uh, what was, how did you react to it uh, when you read it? And how have you since interacted with the ideas in the play? So I was really drawn to... This play, I had not read it or heard of it at all right. um, prior to talking to you about it. Um, but it, there's, 
there's something always very strong about female empowerment plays <laughs> that uh, I am drawn to as a female designer, as a female designer in a field that is predominantly filled with men. Um, it often, it, it does speak to me a lot to talk about a show that is about strong women or is about a woman whose strength is being questioned mm-hmm. um, and the struggle of what that looks like and the struggle of what that looks like and how that compares to now and the sort of perpetuity of these themes that we see regard, you know, regardless yeah. of time yeah. uh, for better or worse. It doesn't feel like a 40-year-old story, does it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, there's also a... I spent some time in India while I was in grad school mm-hmm. and it was yeah. particularly... Um, uh, interest to me just knowing a little bit about the culture and knowing how wonderful it was to be there and experience I did I did a show um, outside of Kochi when I was there and it was I got to work with a a troupe of actors who were all from the area Mm -hmm. um, and just that experience and that culture and that color and that life that is so present in the text when Sita is talking about India and sort of reminiscing about these times and thinking about when she felt full and complete and having agency and and that her life was was complex and faceted and wonderful um, and sort of those feelings that she is expressing in her in her dialogue and sort of in the subtext of the play really came out as part of my experience of being there also yeah. um, and I wanted anything to be in a room and try to recreate that was really special to me just as a as a traveler and as a person. Well, we think you've done a great job. We're looking forward to having our first audience this evening um, uh, experience that and experience the play itself as well. Miranda DeBusk, thank you very much for your work here uh, with Burning Coal on the Great Celestial Cow, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And, uh, And we will open The Great Celestial Cow by Sue Townsend Thursday. That's April 11th. Uh, here at Burning Coal Theatre Company and run three weeks through April 28th. Tickets can be obtained at burningcoal.org or by giving us a ring at 919-834-4001.